Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Today's date is November 23rd. I'm Steven Masso. As always, you're listening to Via the Source. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be going over my recap of the game between the Denver Broncos and the Miami Dolphins. It was kind of a disappointing performance, but we're going to be going over, you know, the little bit of good we can find, the bad, and just my takeaways from this game. So, to dive right into it, the Denver Broncos defeated the Miami Dolphins by a score of 20-13 to this past Sunday. The loss knocks the Dolphins to 6 and 4 and ends their 5-game win streak. The Broncos move on to 4-6 and six with the win. So if I had to describe this game, it would just be overpowered. The Dolphins were overpowered in this game. Now the Broncos Stadium, which this game was played at Empower Stadium at Mile High, as the name suggests, sits at 5,280 feet above sea level. So it is actually indeed a mile up. Now one has to wonder if the altitude played a factor in today's game. The Dolphins look lethargic on both sides of the ball, not only being schematically outperformed, but also physically it looked like. In a 2018 interview with NBC's Nine News, Dr. Inigo San Milan, he runs a sports performance program at the University of Colorado Sports Medicine uh, Center. He said that, quote, it doesn't matter the sport. When you come to altitude and you want to perform, you're going to suffer. You're going to pay for it. And if somebody is waiting for you here with the knife well sharpened, they should take advantage of you, close quote. So keep that in mind. There is a very distinct advantage of physical one when it comes to being at that altitude and being used to and acclimated as opposed to the disadvantage from coming and going over to play that opponent. So the main headline from this game will be what happened to quarterback Tua Tungavailoa. In the fourth quarter of this game with 10.44 remaining, the Dolphins elected to turn to veteran Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, Tua was on this week's injury report, if you remember, with a foot injury. He was sacked six times in this game. And on the last sack, it appeared that his leg got caught underneath him. But after the game, Coach Brian Flores said that the decision to bench him was not injury related. He said, quote, Tua wasn't injured. We just felt like it was the best move at that point of the game. We had to get a two minute mode in and we felt like Fitzpatrick gave us the best chance to win the game. And we had an opportunity at the end to tie it, close quote. Now, after the game, Brian Flores would say that Tua would remain the starter for next week's game, so that kind of ends that potential narrative right there that Fitzpatrick could take over. Now, before leaving the game, though, Tungavailoa was largely inefficient for the Dolphins. He had his worst game of the season thus far, going 11 for 20, 83 yards, and a touchdown. Now, Tua and the offense really struggled to get anything going. Five of the eight drives led by Tua ended with a three and out. That is very bad. His touchdown, though, came on a beautiful fade pass to Devontae Parker. It was a three-yard touchdown, and he also displayed some very nice movement in the pocket, avoiding pressure and being able to look upfield. He looked very composed with guys barreling down towards him. However, though, that was just about all the positives from the rookie in this game. After avoiding the pressure, he would miss on several of his throws. He had an interception that was reversed on a questionable defensive holding call. Now, as I expected back in the 
preview, this game did look very similar to the Rams game offensively. Tua did not complete a single pass beyond 10 yards, and he only attempted four. Now, according to NFL's next-gen stats, once again, Tua led the entire NFL this week in aggressiveness, which, if you remember, is a stat that calculates whether a quarterback is throwing into tight windows. So this week, Tua was a whopping 40%. 40% of his throws were going to a receiver that had a defender within one yard of him. The next closest quarterback to Tua in this category was Carson Wentz with 28. So 40% is massive. Now, it's tough to put all the blame on Tua because of how absolutely terrible the offensive line was in this game. This was by far their worst game of the season. As mentioned in the preview, the Broncos send very few blitzes but are still extremely successful at applying pressure. That did not change in this game. Three of their six sacks came with only four down linemen going to the quarterback. Now, Tungvaluwa was sacked six times in this game. In his three previous starts, he was sacked a combined four times. Now, guard Eric Flowers had a downright terrible performance in this game. He was getting beat nonstop, and on several of the sacks, you can either see him uh, there on the ground or being desperately blown back by the defender. Tackle Austin Jackson also struggled today. He was working alongside Flowers, and that whole side of the offensive line was under a heavy attack. On one sack in particular, Jackson and Flowers, their man switched, and they were able to capitalize on the confusion and get to the quarterback. And after the play, Flowers and Jackson kind of looked at each other with their hands up, showing some visible miscommunication there. And then Broncos edge rusher Bradley Chubb was just causing disruption at will in this game. He finished with a sack and a tackle for a loss. Deshaun Williams would finish with two sacks for the Broncos, and Malik Reed had a sack and a half in this game. Now, the wide receivers for the Dolphins in this one also struggled, as you can tell by that aggressiveness stat. They are struggling desperately to create any sort of separation. The preview piece touched on the Broncos having a very strong secondary, but even then, the Dolphins receivers were just completely blanketed for the entire duration of the game to a level that I think is unacceptable on their part. The Dolphins in the future desperately need to add a star receiver, whether it is uh, in the draft in the first round or adding a stud like Allen Robinson. They desperately need to add somebody to this group here. Now, Ryan Fitzpatrick, because he did enter this game, he came into this game in the fourth quarter. In his first drive, he commanded a 44-yard drive that ended with a field goal. On the following drive, down by seven, the Dolphins got the ball back on their own one-yard line. Fitzpatrick was able to drive deep into the Broncos' territory, but ultimately threw an interception to Justin Simmons. Now, Fitzpatrick would finish the game 12 of 18, 117 yards, and an interception. His 117 yards on two drives was more than Tua had on eight drives. He had two completions of beyond 15 yards. And again, remember, Tua did not complete a single pass beyond 10 in this game. Now, the running game for Miami was largely non-exciting again. Ahmed was solid at best in this game, picking up 43 yards on 12 carries. He also had 31 yards receiving on five catches. Now, running back Matt Breida made his return 
from a hamstring injury this week, and he had a minor impact in this game. He finished the game with two carries for four yards. Now, if we look over at the receiving game for Miami, the Dolphins' leading receiver, as expected, was Devontae Parker, who had 61 yards. And once again, Devontae Parker showed some very nice ability on that fade touchdown that he caught. He was able to get his feet in bounds. It was a very impressive catch. And then later on in the game, near the sidelines, he had a terrific catch that was overturned. So that's back-to-back weeks now with Parker having an amazing play that doesn't count. Uh, Now, Antonio Callaway had his first reception as a Dolphin, which came as a 13-yard catch for a third-down conversion. That was really nice to see. And then if we go and we take a look at the defense for Miami. The Dolphins defense started off hot yet again. Xavier Howard recorded his sixth interception of the season, which once again makes him the league leader in interceptions. That particular interception put the Dolphins on the Denver 22-yard line and led to their touchdown. Now, the Dolphins, which had been having tremendous success at applying pressure over the last several games, did not record a single sack in this game. They only had three quarterback hits on top of that. Now, if you remember in my preview piece, one of the keys to the victory was to contain the run and force Drew Locke to pass the ball. Drew Locke had recorded 10 interceptions in his last five games heading into this one, making it likely that I thought the Broncos would want to keep the ball on the ground. Well, the Broncos would finish this game with 189 yards rushing on 5.7 yards per carry. Melvin Gordon had 84 yards rushing and a fumble near the goal line. Philip Lindsay had 82 yards rushing. The Dolphins defense looked noticeably slower than in previous games, struggling to catch up to the ball carriers or to make any disruptive plays breaking through the line. Now there was one play by Andrew Van Ginkle where Melvin Gordon was about to cross the goal line for a touchdown and he made this extremely heads up play and stripped the ball away from him. It was a play that could have changed the outcome of the game. It really did save it in that moment and that was a terrific play. Now aside from that though, I thought it was a large Largely disappointing game from the Dolphins defensive linemen and their linebackers. Uh, Kyle Van Noy to me looked extremely slow in this game and there was a lot left to be desired. Uh, Landon Roberts who had a huge fourth down stop on Melvin Gordon also gave up a huge play down the center of the field to Nick Vanette. I just thought that overall it was a very discouraging performance from that group. Now the secondary in this game for the Dolphins I thought was alright. Nick Needham was being targeted heavily at one point in this game, surrendering a few catches to Jerry Judy and to KJ Hamler, and there was also an instance of Hamler beating him big over the top, but luckily for him, Drew Locke missed on the pass. Now, Needham was able to minimize the damage by having several big pass deflections in this game. Now, the Dolphins' three leading tacklers in this game were all defensive backs, which is not a good thing in my opinion. Eric Rowe would lead the Dolphins in tackles in this game with 10, and he had a somewhat uh, tough outing against Noah Fant. Fant would finish the game with a respectable 55 yards. Uh, Broncos receiver Tim Patrick had several big catches in this game, including a 41-yard reception on Xavier Howard. He would finish the game with a whopping 119 yards receiving, but those numbers are heavily inflated. On the final play with four seconds remaining, uh, Drew Locke just chucked a ball downfield in order to burn the remaining time off the clock, and Patrick would make the grab for 61 yards. Now, whether you want to 
to count that or not. I just thought that was a garbage time play, and I don't think that's indicative of somehow Xavier Howard being a liability or anything like that. Now, uh, to go into my takeaways from this game, the first one that I have here is it's not time to panic yet. The Dolphins won five straight games, and several of those were against talented teams. Remember, those weren't by accident. Don't let one disappointing performance on the road define your perception of this team. Was the defense bad in this game? Sure, but they have been stellar for the majority of the season. Was the offensive line atrocious today? Absolutely, but this is a group that many people had low expectations for at the beginning of the season. Give them all another week to bounce back before anyone tries to label this team a fluke. My next takeaway from this game is that the receiver situation situation is extremely bad. Every week, Parker makes another highlight reel catch, but at the same time, he hasn't been able to create separation consistently like one would hope a wide receiver one could. The same thing could be said about a lot of the playmakers on the receiving side of the ball. Mike Kosicki disappears more often than not. Jakeem Grant is limited in terms of his skill set. The Dolphins will need to make a huge upgrade at receiver in order to take that next step offensively. My my last takeaway from this game is that the Dolphins' defense must address their run-stopping issues. The Dolphins are currently 27th in the NFL in yards per carry allowed. Their ability to create pressure on the quarterback is phenomenal. Their ability to capitalize on that pressure with turnovers is unmatched. Both of those points are moot if the opponent can hand the ball off and chip away at the defense all game. The only truly tough quarterbacks remaining on the schedule for Miami right now are Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. But if the rest of Miami's opponent can mimic what Denver was able to do in this game, it could make a lot of these routine wins much harder for the team. So guys, let me know what you think about that recap. Is there anything that you think I left off? Is there anything you have a question about? Anything you would like for me to dive deeper in in a future episode? Feel free to let me know on Twitter again. That's at via the source and at Shady Steven. And before we wrap it up, guys, there was a horrible injury today between in the game between the Washington football team and the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow, who has been looking phenomenal and who I've been rooting for heavily. The guy looks good and I'm very excited to see this new generation of quarterbacks. He suffered this horrible knee injury and it looked very similar to the one Ryan Tannehill sustained uh, back when he tore his ACL. Calais Campbell, you know, kind of hitting him low on the knee area. Well, same thing happened. It looked like to Joe Burrow, but maybe even to a worse degree. He was hit you know, from the front side or the side part of his knee while another defender hit him from the back causing this severe, just crazy amount of hyperextension. Uh, apparently, they already said that he has a torn ACL and potentially other damage to his knee. So, of course, of course that's, that's horrible. And Miami was going to play the Bengals soon. So, that was going to be a matchup that was very exciting to see the two rookies battle off. So, again, just feel horrible for Joe Burrow and hope he can make a speedy recovery. And I am 100% willing to bet that he's able to accomplish that. Uh, but again, guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up my episode. Uh, feel free to send any questions or thoughts you guys have. Uh, thank you for the support, as always, to the people who listen. Uh, I got a message from Leandro, and just an awesome message that made my day, and thank you for listening. That is awesome to hear that you're enjoying the podcast. It means a lot to me. And then, of course, Martin, who is always extremely supportive and always helps share the podcast. I greatly appreciate everything you do as well. Uh, cannot be overstated how much I appreciate that. But guys, that is how I'm going to wrap it up. Until next time, guys, I'm Steven Masso, and this was Via the Source.